everybody, I'm Robert Cannon, and this is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics. Episode 26, Andy Stone. Andy, thanks for coming in, man. It's nice to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> I, I wish we were face-to-face, Andy, because you are one of my favorite people in forensics. And I think that kind of goes for everyone that knows Andy Stone. Uh, if you've met Andy Stone, it's hard to not like Andy Stone <laughs> in forensics. Um, genuine, nice, great guy, and an excellent competitor. Andy, talk us through it. I want to begin by what years did you start competing? Like when, did, when did you start, and then when was your last year of competition? Do you remember what, what year it was? Yeah, so I started my junior year of high school, so that would have been 2004 was okay. when I started. And then you competed all the way until, what, 2010? That's right, yep. So okay. two years in high school and then four years in college. Okay, so I always like to begin just by asking, like, how did you get involved? You know, like, how, how did you start with speech? So I, I actually think my parents wanted me to start earlier. Uh, I remember my freshman orientation the uh, speech coach, Eric Dominguez, gave this really just super energetic, rousing kind of pitch for what speech and debate was going to be at my high school. Um, and we at should, the time we I, should mention what high school is this. Are you from uh, Arizona originally? Yeah, Desert Vista, Desert Vista High School in uh, Phoenix, okay. Arizona. But uh, yeah, so he, he gave this, this really big pitch. And I had done some theater stuff um, in elementary and middle school and at my church. And... Uh, it was, you know, I, I always loved to perform on kind of any stage that I could get. So when my parents heard that, they're like, you should really look into this. But I had other interests at the time. I was, you know, as everybody coming into high school is trying to figure out who they are and where they're going to fit in. So um, it took me a couple years from that point to really make it into the activity. Um, but uh, once I got in, I never looked back. So how it was your parents urging or was it just a how did you get involved in it once you once you hit your junior year, they just said you're going to have to do it this year. Uh, no, 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 no. It wasn't anything like that. They they were they were excited that I was interested. No gun in to your head of like you're going to do this or else. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. Um, I you know I had a few friends who were into it, and uh, the high school I was at had my sophomore year they had won the state title, um, and it was just it was just a big deal. So it was kind of on everybody's radar, and mm. you know, having some some friends and some acquaintances that were into it. Um, it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, maybe I should look into this. And I actually, I think I went to the like last meeting of the year, my sophomore year of high school. But at that point, everything was done. Um, so I didn't get anything out of that. But I was like, okay, you know, next next year, I'm going to I'm gonna really try and get into this because it seems, seems cool. It seems like something I'd be uh, a good fit for. Um, and then uh, my junior year came around and I, I started off the season there. And I, I just, I threw myself just 100% into it. I was, I was right at home. And so what, what what was your first event? Was it, It's got to be HI, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it was definitely HI. <laughs> HI or Duo. i got to imagine that. I mean, both of those are uh, events that I could absolutely see you doing. Do you remember what your first piece was? <laughs> yeah, so my HI was, um, it was a, something like the, the, the Ninja's Handbook. I remember the author's name is Robert Hamburger. It was, it was basically this book written from the perspective of, I don't know, like a 10-year-old. And it was his guide on how to be a ninja. And it was just, it was just ludicrous. Um, it was just so silly. Um, so the whole piece was just a bunch of like little vignettes of, of how this, this child was educating his audience on how to be a ninja. Um, and it was just a blast. It was, it was so much fun. So how does your junior year go? I mean, what do you, 
uh, what level of success do you have and whether that's personal or award wise how how does your junior year play out so the first tournament i ever competed at was actually the long beach uh high school tournament oh um i didn't break there um but it was you know a really fun experience to like go to a travel tournament because basically all the competition for arizona happens in state um so it was fun to you know be on a trip with a school you know sponsored thing to be, be going out of state um seeing all this crazy stuff um and then once we got back in state i started to be uh, like breaking pretty consistently I, I don't remember if i like when i first finaled or, or won a tournament or anything like that but um, I know it was, I was pretty consistently successful that first year and, and that, that silly little ninja piece I ended up winning state with. Um, so it, it was off to a, a good start. I, I, you know, I worked hard, but that makes um, sense. Yeah. Some success pretty immediately. Uh, while I, I have not seen this uh, ninja piece, I can only imagine. And I know you well enough to know that I'm, it was, I'm sure gut busting and uh, <laughs> like everything that you put together was. So you you wind up winning state your junior year. Did you mm -hmm. wind up going to nationals, or was it was state the kind of the big um, brouhaha at the end of the year? I mean, state was obviously a, a very big deal, um, mm -hmm. and and winning that that title my first year competing was um, a huge point of, of pride and a big achievement, and something that I, I, I took a lot of um, like I said, just a lot of pride in. Um, but a couple weeks after the state tournament, Arizona hosts the national qualifying tournament, which is structured really differently than any forensics tournament that I right. ever competed in. Um, unlike a lot of other states, Arizona is all one district or one territory. So it's, it's basically there's, there's just one shot, uh, to get people to qualify to nationals. Right. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm riding high off of this, this state championship. Um, and I ended up not even getting to the final of the, uh, the national qualifying tournament. And I remember after getting back to the school, you know, the, the, after the bus ride uh, back, I, I don't think I've ever been more heartbroken uh, out, out of the outcome of a particular tournament. I, I remember just bawling my eyes out at, you know, what was it, 16 or 17? Yeah. Because um, I, I just, you know, I worked so hard and I just wanted it so bad. A lot of my friends had qualified with events. Um, and you know, to to have that high of a high followed by that low of a low, I, it's still something that sticks with me, and I think motivated with me big time. Uh, Am I the year. only one that thinks that like the the NSDA or at the time it was uh, the the NFL? NFL, yep. Am I the only one that thinks that their qualification procedure is insane? Like you get one shot at it and that's it, and if you have an off tournament or an off judge, uh -huh. that 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 totally ruins your chances. I mean, I it. Yeah, it, it, was, it was crazy to me because it was a, it's not like a traditional, you know, you get your ranks in prelims, you advance to semifinals, you advance to finals. It's a, right. it's like an up-down kind of system. So it, the tournament really doesn't have a set length. It, it could be really long. It could be really short, just depending on how everything shakes out. So, um, I, you know, I, the exact details of the competitive format, I, I don't know that I could give you all of them this many years after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I remember it was definitely a, a wonky tournament for me as a competitor. And I, I continued to co coach high school while I was in college and for a few years after as well. Um, and it was just, it was just always a source of heartbreak. There was always stuff that you know, seemed like it should have gotten to nationals and weird stuff would happen at the qualifier and suddenly you're not. So, well, I may be jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I think that's one of the benefits of college is, you know, going the qualification procedure for AFA or even NFA, NFA is, I mean, uh, no offense to NFA, I love NFA, but it's a joke to qualify. Like if you can't sure. break at a at a novice tournament 
you don't deserve to go to nationals at that point. Yeah. But I mean, for AFA, it's a it's a while uh, many people critique that whole leg system that AFA has. It does kind of shake out that look, you've got all year to make this happen, and if you can make it happen, if you can go through these qualification processes processes then you deserve to be here with the best of the best and if you can't make that happen then you don't deserve to be here but it doesn't rest on one tournament my goodness yeah like, I, I, i've always had a problem with with that with nfl's procedure totally agree yeah that, i mean i think the afa system i think makes the most sense out of out of the available options to us um, yeah, to make sure i'm sure people have their own criti- criticisms of that as well and we could sure. you know spend a whole episode just talking about that but um <laughs> but i i feel your pain and and i i understand that heartbreak all too well of, of not qualifying and uh and, and i feel for you so um so at the end of that you you go back crushed you go back home and does that put a uh like a put pump the brakes a little bit on you coming back your senior year or are you just oh. you're not a you know, chance. There you go. Yeah, just <laughs> hell bent on no, coming back. Oh, absolutely. No, I I talked my parents into letting me go to the uh, George Mason uh, high school speech camp that summer. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I was just so a hundred percent into it. As soon as I started, I was just like, this is for me. So, um, and I had played sports growing up and sort of grew out of that, um, kind of in my early teen years. But I still had that that competitive drive in me so like getting a taste of success but also having this kind of sort of crushing defeat at the tail end of the season there wasn't a chance I wasn't coming back I was I was going to do everything I could to come back and and come back that much better the next season and kind of prove something to everybody right yeah oh yeah so what happens your senior year Uh, I have another good year Um, so the senior year I won state in duo inter with Uh uh, Kelly Blakesley uh, and we qualified that duo to nationals. Um, so I was able to, you know, get over that hump that had uh, stalled me the year before. Which right. W- it felt great. Um, the national high school tournament is an insane experience. Um, I, I still remember just like the, the sheer number of people and the number of rounds. Uh, nothing like AFA or NFA. And it just goes for so long, just days and days. Um, I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you. I, think we broke maybe octas i feel like we got out of prelims but didn't get very far beyond that mm-hmm. um but that that was you know i, I got to the tournament that was really yeah. what i what i'd set out to do that year and um to to get to that point at least was was good enough for the moment well, that's wonderful all right so you and you wound up winning state as well mm-hmm. yeah. yeah all right so then you wind up going to asu i'm assuming that's kind of a natural fit because I mean, you're in Arizona already, right? You're in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Well, and there was, I mean, everything was right along my path to, to get me there. So all of my coaches uh, in high school were either current or former ASU speech people. Um, ASU is... So, so who, who were those coaches? So um, Eric Dominguez, I mentioned, he was he was uh, an ASU speech competitor. Vic Silva, um, Ryan Hubble, Joe Guppy... Um, Paul Davis, Nick Lemp, um, I mean, just a, a whole lot of ASU people. Um, Katie Pranger approached me. Um, it, it was a pretty good subset, I think, of what the team at ASU looked like my few, last few years in high school. Um, all had at least either like a, a consistent position coaching, like they were there you know, every week or multiple times a week, or would 
come from time to time to do a little coaching. Um, so I had a lot of exposure to what that college speech environment looked like while I was in high school. Um, and that's, that's where I wanted to be. That was, it, they just seemed so cool. I, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I, that's of course where I wanted to go um, and, and continue, continue competing. You know, when you, I, I don't know much about your background uh, before ASU, but I remember always kind of um, seeing you with Eric Dern. I mean, you two mm -hmm. were, were always kind of together. You obviously did uh, a great duo, which I want to talk about later, a very controversial duo, which many people <laughs> kind of talk about uh, maybe even shaping duo from that point on. Um, but I will, I'll talk about that in a minute. But you and Eric, did you guys know each other before you came to ASU? Yeah, so um, Eric and I competed against each other in high school. So he went mm. to another high school here. Um, so and he was a, a year younger than me. So um, when he joined the team, uh, my freshman year at ASU, um, we had known each other um, for a few years at that point. Um, again, I was I was coaching um, as soon as I graduated from high school. So I was still around a lot of the high school circuit at that point. Right. So, I've been making a, a pretty strong pitch to, to both Eric Dern and Andy Kirsch. They were both competing together uh, for them to, to come and join the ASU speech team. I don't, I, I think they may have been planning on doing that already. I don't know that I convinced them to do anything, um, but it's not like we, we didn't meet in college. We definitely had a relationship uh, right. between, between us before that. I always kind of felt like Aaron, Eric Dern and uh, Nick Klemp had a similar vibe. It was that kind of just, um, uh, and not that they, I, I, I adore both of them, and they were both just kind of like very chill, relaxed, and then they would throw in a smart-ass comment. <laughs> I love both of them, and I've never seen them in the same room, so I'm kind of convinced that Nick Klimt just came back as Eric Dern for you know a few years. Um, I, I can I can assure you they are, in fact, uh, different people. I've, I've spent <laughs> many, many hours, uh, not just in speech, but in the years since. Uh, well, I'm sure you could tell the personality differences, but you know I only see them a few hours at a tournament. You know. Sure. So you start start doing um you start doing ASU speech and what what do you begin with I mean in college obviously HI doesn't isn't really an option for the, at the collegiate level what do you decide to do um uh, I love that in college you weren't limited to like just a couple events right because in high school especially when you're thinking of state or going to nationals at state you can only compete in two events at nationals you can only bring one event. So right. I loved the fact that I could sort of broaden my horizons in terms of what I wanted to do. So I, I had done poetry um, in high school. I had done prose, things like that. So definitely those were events I wanted to, to continue to do. Um, ADS fit right into my, my wheelhouse of, mm -hmm. I think, the replacement of doing a, an HI. ADS was where I found kind of the closest uh, version of that. Mm -hmm. So that was something definitely where I, I focused a lot of my attention. So I, you know, I honestly, I had to go look through, uh, I still have all my folders from, from high school and college actually. So this afternoon I, I was pulling up those folders, like what events did I do all of these years? Cause it's been a <laughs> while and I, I had to remind myself, but yeah, my, my freshman year of college, uh, had ADS duos, uh, poetry and prose. ADS duos, poetry and prose. Okay. So where did you find the most success that first year in college? So my most successful event was uh, my duo with Nick Klemp. Uh, he and I finaled at NFA, mm. um, which uh, it was, it's an interesting piece too, looking back on it. It was basically the, the premise was that Judas um, was sort of a, a hero um, or a misunderstood figure. In, oh, I think I saw um, this. In, in the Bible that 
that he w- he didn't betray Jesus of his own accord, but rather Jesus needed him to betray him to sort of be the catalyst uh, to be the savior. So we it was a program duo. We'd cut together a, a handful of different uh, materials for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I had, I'd never done anything bef- like that before, and, and never did anything like that afterwards. Um, but it was I, I think a, a very cool piece. And, and it was and I, it was fairly serious though, right? It was, this was not comedic in nature. It was mostly serious. Um, there was there was a, a little levity to it, um, but it was definitely definitely on the more on the drama side of things for sure i think i remember this piece and i remember i mean it kind of stuck with me for a while like oh that's an interesting idea no that's, that's that yeah. is an interesting idea that's nice yeah we, we thought so <laughs> <laughs> and so um and then by your second year your sophomore year um you you wind up doing you start kind of as i recall you start expanding into more events and really starting to make more of a name for yourself at this point um, walk us through your second year. Yeah, so I think having a, the, a, a final under my belt as a freshman, I think mm-hmm. helped you know put me on some people's radar. Which, you know, as as much as I think we often wish that forensics was a, a purely you know artistic endeavor, and that's how it's judged. It's it's definitely very political in nature, and you know I, I don't blame any judge for it one way or the other. But you, you see a face multiple times, you see them in out rounds, you, you kind of get a little bit of a bias for it. So I, I think that that worked in my favor to some degree. Right. Um, I mean, I, I worked my butt off too, so <laughs> it's not all that, but you know, um, I, on that note, can I just say something? I think um, I actually bring you up quite a bit when I'm teaching um, my, my middle school students, I, I bring your name up quite a bit and it's about hard work. And as a testament, like i remember this several times like uh i mean you you were known at a certain point for your ads i mean people would want to go see andy stone's ads speeches and it was just kind of oh well andy's in there so i gotta go see this and i remember um this must have been your third year uh of of doing it and you you had already had i think a, a final round maybe second place at afa for um for ads but you already had like a really strong reputation for doing ads and i remember one of the first few competitions of the year um going to a tournament and being in the same round with you a couple times i think we had like a prelim round together and then a final round and i remember beating you in ads and thinking wow i I just beat andy stone in ads and i remember someone saying it to me then and it really stuck true and they said just wait just watch him and I remember seeing you later on in ADS, and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, here we are. We're in the finals together. <laughs> and now he's beating me. And what happened? And this slowly, over time, this speech became glorious. And it was no longer the, the original thing that had, it had begun with at the, you know, at the, be- the first tournament of the year. And I use that as a great example uh, to all my students. Like, nobody cares about this, like, piddlywink tournament that you begin with at the beginning of the season it's nationals at the end and how do you get there and most people just want to turn in the the first performance and it's this constant revision and tweaking and changing and refining it that gets you there and i thought man nobody embodies this better than andy stone because and i don't mean that as an attack for your speech to begin with i felt (laughs) like it was let me lay the foundation down and then let me add a layer and add a layer and each tournament that goes by it's another layer it's another layer and by the time nationals comes around it's in peak performance and i thought that's the way you should play this game but i i totally agree with that um i i think part of it came out of 
honestly a, a bit of necessity. Like I, I think I have a, a a natural ability to speak well in front of an audience, um, but uh, you know compared to a, a lot of folks that I competed with and against, I think there were there were more talented folks out there. Um, so I just knew that I just had to outwork everybody that I could. I would every year as we got close to nationals, because um, I, I was basically always living with some collection of speech people. Um, I would go into what I called out for blood mode, and I mean I would I would just stay up until midnight or later, you know, rewriting or rerunning pieces. Uh, I mean, I just was determined to go into a tournament knowing that there might be people that are better than me, but nobody outworked me was sort mm -hmm. of my mindset, um, especially when we get to the those national tournaments at the end of the season. I can attest to it. I mean, it was a sight to behold. Um, so walk us through your second year. I'm sorry, I kind of cut you off mid mids uh, second year. So what happens there? Um, so second year was my sophomore year was really like a, I guess a, a breakout year, you could say. So, um, uh, at nationals, I, at AFA took, uh, second in ADS, uh, and in NFA also, uh, took second in ADS. Was that second place to the same speech at both tournaments? No, it was different speeches at each one. As I remember, I remember the AFA performances. I went to see it and, uh, that one was at a hotel yeah. and there was, there were ballrooms. And, and you, I, I'm stealing your story probably, but if something very unique happens in the middle of your speech. So how do you tell this story? So, yeah. So like you said, we're, we're in this ballroom and directly behind where I'm performing. So I'm, my back is facing this wall that has a, like a service store where the staff of the hotel would come in and out to, you know, bring food or whatever you know if it's if it's that kind of event this was obviously not top that off kind the of water event. or whatever it yeah is. yeah exactly um so right in the midst of this this finals performance um somebody like opens the door behind me um and i like turn around i think i did like a like a double take because i wasn't sure what was going on um, and then i just i just walked to the door and opened it um and kind of waved and shouted hello to whoever it was that uh, interrupted my speech and then uh, jumped right back into it. Um, but it was, uh, you know, one of those things that you could, you could never plan for anything like that. Um, in hindsight, I'm so glad I was able to like handle it. Okay. At least, uh, and not let it completely throw me off. Um, Cause I, I think that very easily could have just completely derailed my whole speech and, and it caused me to flub up or forget where I was or any of that. Uh, but it ended up being a, a pretty funny moment. One of those things that you again never read. Well, I will tell you, <laughs> I had a front row seat to that speech, and I don't know. I, I don't know if it was literally front row, but I was maybe second row or something like that. I saw I saw the guy's face come in, and the the audience was losing their minds. It was, I mean, one of the whole like what five hundred people easy falling out of their seats, standing ovations. I mean, it was it was really really a dynamite speech and the whole round was really really solid and i just remember you killing it in that round and everyone going that that was amazing and that the way that you interacted with <laughs> the service door that opens up and this man peering in in, <laughs> in front of 500 people kind of go oops sorry didn't mean to look look in that door and you just totally used it i thought that was a, I, I talk about that quite a bit with my students too of you have to kind of play into some of these things that can be opportunities and not necessarily um 
not necessarily problems. They're not necessarily things that you want to run away from. Sometimes they can be great additions to your speech if you're thinking on your feet and you're trying to work with what's going on. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that, that round is one I, I look back on very fondly. I think that's probably one of the most fun 10 or probably realistically like 12 minutes I think I, I ever had in, in front of an audience. And um, yeah, those little unpredictable things, uh, you can certainly ignore them, but if you're able to to take it in stride and have some fun with it, especially an event like ADS, um, like you said, you can definitely use it to your advantage. And I, I like to think that I did in that moment. I, I always felt like you were someone who enjoyed performing and it showed like you, you were up there going, this is so much fun. And then that round, you had so many people just eating out of the palm of your hand. And I remember thinking, this guy is loving it and he's flawless. He's just got everything there that needs to happen. And it was a really, really wonderful speech. And it was all about sci-fi, right? It was about yep. um, science fiction movies. And what you, maybe you should explain a little bit more of your thesis about it. Yeah, so at the time, and I, I think it's a little bit of a dated opinion now, but um, so this would have been... I think 2008 um it just felt to me as a as a like diehard lover of all things sci-fi that everything coming out was recycled or sequels uh so the basic premise of my speech was that sci-fi is something that is important to driving humanity's imagination it's it's one of the things that's pushed us forward and when our sci-fi becomes stale our ability to innovate and, and move civilization in a, a positive direction becomes hindered by that um I, I think there's been a lot of great sci-fi over the 12 years since so i, I don't mm -hmm. know if that still has ha, that argument has legs now oh they were but... listening to your speech <laughs> i did it i fixed it um, yeah there you go <laughs> single-handedly was that speech that guy who popped his head in was a producer for paramount i don't know if we mentioned that or not um but yeah that was that was the the, the premise of it and uh, it was certainly something that was just, like you said i just had so much fun doing it like writing all of the sort of little deep cut sci-fi jokes um I, you know i like you said I, I love to perform i love an audience and, and especially with that speech i was talking about something that i, I love to talk about um you know even just with, with friends or with no audience it's something i was passionate about so to have that big of an audience and to have them enjoying it uh, as much as I was delivering it was, was again, something I'll, I'll cherish my whole life. Mm -hmm. So this brings us into your third year of competition. Now your third year of competition, if unless I'm mistaken, that was that the year that ASU lost a lot of their funding? That's correct. Yeah. So um, obviously taking second place at, at AFA and NFA is something that's a, a big achievement and I, you know, grateful to reach that level. Um, but I wanted to win and I mm -hmm. wanted to win really badly. So right. coming into my junior year, um, I was, I was really out for it that, that whole season, um, to make things more complicated, the communications department had lost some of the funding and, uh, the positions where we had previously had coaches as part of the department that went away. So part of the infrastructure we had to support the team, um, was was no longer there i mean obviously the team continued to exist but the the way that it operated changed i think we had to we, we traveled a lot less that year um this is right in the heart of the financial crisis so really the whole world is feeling the, the repercussions of the, the macroeconomic situation at the time but we definitely felt it um in college speech as well so it, it, your ads that year 
deals with a lot of the lack of funding for forensics programs. And I, I want to talk about that. But was that the original topic that you had chosen for your for your ADS that year? Or had, had you started something else originally? I had another speech that year. I don't know if I can remember what I started the year with. I'm trying to pull up my notes right now. Um, I don't know that I, I have it in front of me. Um, but that was a topic that really developed late in the year. So sort of antithetical to what you were mentioning earlier, where I had one speech I continued to refine mm -hmm. throughout the year. I had qualled a different speech pretty early on. And nationals might have been the first time I took that speech out um, hmm. because things had you know, kind of changed and, and devolved over the season. Um, and that was that was the thing that I felt needed to be said at that time. Yeah, I uh, I remember thinking at that time he's doing something completely different. Like this is not the typical Andy Stone that I know wh where you, you're changing gears all of a sudden. And I didn't I didn't feel like that was your typical approach to things. Am I am I off base in saying that? Oh, I mean, no, that's that's right on. And um, I think it was a a, a big gamble. Um, to make that change. And I, I took a lot of risks, I think, with that particular speech. The The subject matter, I think, was atypical from what you'd find in ADS. The structure of it was just a, a mile apart from anything else that was... Well, in what ways? How, how is it different? So typically, you, you do your, 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 your cause-effect solution or your problem-impact solution as your sort of three points of the speech. That speech I had structured after the, um, the five stages of grief. So each point addressed one of the different um, stages that people go through in grief and basically my approach to us losing, uh, losing funding and, and losing sort of what we had come to be accustomed to as to how we'd be able to operate. I mean, we, we really didn't know if the team could continue to compete, could continue to travel. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff I didn't know being a student. Um, so a lot of it was you know, what I was being told by, by coaches and, and folks in administration, stuff like that. Um, but the, the general crux of it was we, we just didn't know if ASU speech would continue to exist. And if it did, we didn't expect it to be anything like what it had been before because we had lost a, a lot of access to, to funds and, and perhaps more importantly, the people who help support the organization. Now, you also had kind of a visual aid for that piece. Am I wrong in that? Yes. Am I wrong? Okay, so yeah. talk us through that. And that met with some controversy as well. Yeah, so I had a visual aid of somewhere on ASU's campus, if I'm remembering correctly, they had built this big structure that like provided shade over like a quad area or some common space. Um, and it cost just a huge amount of money. Um, so I think in the anger phase of grief, I really launched into how pissed I was that money was being spent to provide shade for a small area of campus when something I felt like was really important um, in you know the intellectual development of students and was really a worthwhile use of, of school money. Uh, you know, we lost our funding, but now there's you know a few hundred square feet that had some shade over it. Um, <laughs> I had used the visual aid throughout the whole tournament, but then in the the final, I really let the the anger build and go all the way up to rage. Uh, I think I kicked over the stand. I think I ripped up the VA. I might have thrown the pieces into the crowd. I just I just went off on that thing. Um, and uh, <laughs> that definitely got a, a pretty strong reaction from the crowd, if my memory serves. 
And didn't you, you there was something with calendars as well. Uh, and oh, I don't even yeah. think I, I don't even think I saw the speech, but I remember hearing about calendars. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. No, that's the VA worth talking about. The other one is less consequential. I completely forgot about this. Yeah. So as part of the bargaining phase of grief, I <laughs> made a calendar um, and I still probably have one or two around the house somewhere um, that was like a, a very very sexualized calendar of current and former ASU speech competitors uh, that I was going to sell uh, to try and raise money uh, for the team. It's a pinup it, calendar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, there's um, stuff uh, like you know, people with their, their black books in, in front of, you know, sensitive areas. I, uh, Please tell people. me you have like Ryan Hubble holding an oversized monkey wrench or something, you know, and, you know, in a, in a garage, like well, a, I, yeah, I think uh, Ryan Hubble's definitely in there. I think I used a picture that he had done in one of his speeches um, where he was <laughs> he was featured nude. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of ASU figures on there. I, Paul Davis was in there. Joe Guffey was in there. Uh, Nick Klimp was in there. Um, my uh, at, at the time uh, girlfriend, now wife, Julia Colesrud was in there. Uh, There's a, a lot of people who who made the uh, the official ASU calendar. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm hazy on all the details this many years after the fact, but the school told me I could not, I think our director, cause we had a new director that year. I think he told me I explicitly couldn't sell or show the calendar, but I did it anyway. Um, I, we only sold I, probably less than 10. It's not like it actually turned into be a big fundraising thing, but it, it sure made for a hell of a VA. That's for damn sure. I remember talking to you about it at AFA and going, well, what's up with that? And I remember you saying something to the effect of, uh, we, we, we can't anymore. Like, we can't put these out anymore. Yeah. And I think maybe somebody had said, like, you can't be selling that. That's going to lead to all sorts of problems. Um, but I remember being very tickled by it and being very that's probably the, the wrong word to use. But I remember <laughs> finding it very funny. Uh, it, it made for a good bit. That's for sure. Yeah um now this i think if i remember the timeline correctly this is also the same year that you did a duo with um with dern am i remembering yep. that right that's right okay so walk us through that so um eric dern and i the summer after my sophomore his freshman year um we had we had been kicking this idea around uh for a while we might have even started talking about it towards the end of the previous year of, of doing uh transformers the the michael bay film as as a duo we were both big time lovers of of tech and blocking and the more more complicated and and more showy it, would, it could be the better um so we started like i think like actually like blocking some ideas and and starting to put some stuff together really early on um and then the the season rolls around, and it it's like, are are we really gonna do this? Are we actually gonna cut Transformers and and put it together? And we're like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's let's really make this a reality. Um, Transformers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it was it, like it was such a wild and maybe dumb idea um, because nobody was doing well, anything like that. <laughs> that's true, but I will say, you guys actually brought some gravitas to it. Like, you made it worthwhile. It was it was truly more than meets the eye <laughs> exactly um yeah i mean like it, we knew that if we're gonna do the thing we gotta do the damn thing like we gotta yeah. if we're gonna really and try and sell transformers we have got to 
we have got to throw every ounce of creative juice that we have and, and not just us, but other folks on the team. Uh, again, I got to give a shout out to, to Andy Kirsch. He was a, a big part of helping us, uh, block and put that together. Cause at the time the three of us lived together, I mean, it was, it was a project. Um, and mm-hmm. it was one that as silly as it was, and as, you know, as, as goofy of a choice people might've seen it to be like, we, we took it really seriously. Like if we're going to have fun doing this, like we're going to be really serious about <laughs> having this amount of fun. Um, and we think it can, we think it can do well. Um, uh, Mike Groutman, um, who was our, one of our coaches at the time, or he might've been director. I can't remember the exact timeline. Um, he was not supportive of it. He, <laughs> I, I take that back. That's maybe not the wrong way to put it. He basically said, if you want to do this and you want to have fun, go for it. But you need to know, like, if you're serious about competition, like this, this probably isn't going to get you where you want to go. Um, and he knew that we were both serious competitors. So like that, that definitely had some weight for it. But again, we just, we just wanted to have fun. And we also really believed that we could, we could do something that would just wow people and be fun. And sort of the sort of thing that you like, how do you, how do you drop that? How do you, how do you not pick that up? Um, if we can make it that good. I remember too. Um, no, you, you guys wound up going to, to AFA with, I'm not sure how you did at NFA with it, but I remember being in the same finals round with you at AFA and I think you guys took second with it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. And um, I remember in retrospect, like this, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to, if you're going to even remember this, but there was a tournament that we went to that really only started standing out in my mind after AFA, which was this tiny little tournament in California. It was a Fullerton tournament. And there were like, there were f- like, I think three or four duos at the tournament. That was it. Mm-hmm. And three of those four were finalists at AFA. <laughs> Do you remember this? I, you know, not specifically. I, 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 that was another one where you I, were doing Mary Choppins and Transformers, and I was doing I, I was doing my duo with Shaw. We were all trying to get uh, legs, and uh-huh. it was like only one of us could get a leg, <laughs> and we were all like d- dying. Maybe two people could get a leg, something like that. But we were all really scrambling for these legs. And I remember in retrospect going, these, I, I think you had changed pieces by the time you got to AFA. I don't think you were doing Mary Choppins anymore, but uh-huh. that, uh, who was your partner for that piece? It was, right. And so you guys had changed pieces um, to something. I mean, I actually like Mary Choppins. I love both of the pieces, but I was just enthralled. And I remember thinking later on, I'm going, oh my gosh, there were like three duos or four duos. And, and three of those duos, there were three or four, and at least three of the, if there were three, then all three of them made it into AFA final round. And that's pretty incredible. How many of the tournaments can you say that, that every duo or every duo, but one of the duos that was at this tournament finaled at you know, one of the biggest tournaments in the country. Well, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty fun. I think it's a, it's a, a compliment, not just to, you know, any, any one set of those duos that you mentioned, but really the, the whole like Southern California, Northern California, like even though the, the tournaments we went to a lot of them were small, there's a lot of really good competitors there. Yeah. Um, like there's, there's, there's nothing easy about going to those tournaments um, in terms of the competition that we'd be up against. Cause you know, y- yourself and like I said, Shaw, a whole, whole bunch of people would find themselves into out rounds at nationals. Um, so I think that that's that level of competition when you have it, you know, every other weekend and it's, it's sort of the normal for you forces you to, 
to push yourself and, and try and reach a, a new competitive level. Um, so I think it, it worked to everybody's advantage that we were up against each other week in and week out. I guess I, you're right. But I guess for me, there's just something about, I remember this room so specifically, this like dusty little, there was chalk all over the place and these like, you know, chalkboards. It was just kind of this ramshackle old room. And like I said, it, it's a totally forgettable tournament. And I'd be surprised if you did remember it, but I only remember it because at AFA, I'm going, oh my gosh, <laughs> these same three duos. We we just competed <laughs> against each other at, like two months ago. And now we're all here in finals together. This is crazy. And, uh, and I always, that always kind of stuck out to me. Like, what a cool little moment. And I don't think yeah. I mentioned that to anybody, but I've thought about it over the years all the time. of like, there's such power in some of these tiny little tournaments sometimes you don't even think about, but there it is. Um, okay. So, you know, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was the impact that Transformers had on, on Duo. And I feel like I've talked to a number of people who have kind of said that, um, that marked a change in, in Duo. I even remember, I remember hearing about Transformers before seeing it. A lot of people saying, oh, you got to see Transformers. You got to see tra the people kind of, Transformers. And uh, I, I finally saw it. And then right after I saw it, I went to, I want to say the Norton. I went to some big tournament and I saw some competitors doing Captain Planet. And it was even more blocking and tech. And, and it was almost, that's going to be the name of the game now is how much movement can you put in that's clean and cool and interesting and unique and th th it started to almost kind of divide the community into well is that good for duo or should we be focusing on more um character driven pieces i mean i think there was already this kind of push for uh duos to start to, to become more program like instead of using one piece one one narrative the entire length and just focusing on like the depth of character. I'm, I'm curious if you feel like that was true, if you feel like Transformers did help shape some of it. Um, and then if so, if, if so, or if not, to what degree do you think it did? You know, it, it's a good question. I'll be honest. I don't know that I'm qualified to really fully answer it. Um, so, I mean, we, we did that, that duo my, my junior year. So I had one more round of competition. Um, I haven't been to or, or judged or, or seen any collegiate competition since then so how things changed in the wake of that i really couldn't i couldn't say mm -hmm. um I, I i can only speak for what we had set out to do and what we felt was important i you know i think it's forensics is such a such a weird niche little activity with such a specific and maybe even odd set of rules to abide yeah. by so conventions anyway if they're not rules yeah. If you just start looking at the weird conventions, it's even more bizarre. For sure. No, that's a, that's a great point. Beyond just what's in the book, uh, the rule book, um, there's there's so much of what, what, what you can do, what you can't do, and what you should do. Um, and I, it's it's all just made up. You know, it's it's <laughs> it, it's it's there for us to, to play with. And, you know, I think we wanted to push ourselves as far as we could within those those boundaries that existed. And, you know, if it if it inspired others to to rock the boat a little bit or to, to do similar things and all the better for it. You know, we, we, we wanted to, we wanted to put on a show like that's, that is what we wanted to do with that duo. Mm -hmm. We wanted to put on something that would be entertaining and fun and inspiring. And if, if people got that out of it and said, I want to do something like that, then like, that's a huge honor. Like that we, we did what we set out to do. And I, I, I can, I can look back and be proud of that. Yeah. I think, um, I, I, I love the, the premise I guess the argument of the the literature was basically we're doing this because it's fun. And um, Dave and I, um, Dave Hale and I had do, done a 
duo our first year and we made it to semis AFA with basically the same argument. And it was totally a high school, you know, HI that was turned into a, there was no 830 moment. It was just straight comedy silliness the entire time. There was no serious moment at all. And unbelievably, we made it to semis on that same kind of, that that was our argument was this is fun let's just go have fun sometimes that's what what you need and i as soon as i heard those words you know out of your mouth as well and i, I don't i'm not at all trying to say that you had you know, we came first or that you had i don't even think you knew that that had existed because it was before you even were competing at the collegiate level but i think i have found such a kinship with transformers in that moment going yes that's what we should be doing we should be doing fun pieces it doesn't always have to be changing the world it could just be this is just a fun piece to do and yeah i love that about transformers and i thought it was incredible well and i think too like for us it it was of course about us having fun but also the idea that like art doesn't always have to be heavy it doesn't always right. have to it does like I said, it doesn't always have to change the world like there 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 is intrinsic value in like a popcorn movie like that's the reason why millions and millions of people go to the theaters to see them. Like Transformers makes hundreds of millions of dollars. Like there's something to it. There's a, there's a reason for that. Right. Um, and we were in pursuit of replicating that in, in the forensics format and what a fun challenge it turned out for us to be. Yeah. So I, I got to ask you at this point, I mean, I, okay, you're ADS that year. The, the one about the lack of funding mm -hmm. that takes second place mm -hmm. in ADS as well. Yep. So, I mean, you're king of second places at this point, right? Yep. I mean, you're, are you furious or what? <laughs> I, I don't know that fury is really the right emotion. I was sort of dumbstruck and disappointed, um, especially going into, I, I, I still remember standing on stage for duo and, you know, hear, hearing the first three names called out and knowing that, you know, I had two of the duos in the top three, like surely mm -hmm. one of them is going to win. Mm -hmm. um, and then they get called for second, for third place. And then for second place, um, I think part of me felt that I, I just didn't know what else I had in the tank. Like that year, I just threw everything, everything I had. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think, I could have come up with anything more creative. I don't think I could have performed anything better. Like I, I did everything I knew how to do and still came up short. Um, and so I, I definitely felt a little, little lost. Um, I think in some ways it, it may stifled my drive my senior year just a little bit. Um, coming back, I, I still wanted to win. I was still really hungry for that, that, that title that I'd been so close to the previous two years, but I, part of me was like, I just, I don't know what else I've got. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to come up with anything better um, than what I've already put on the table. And if that's not good enough, then I, I don't know what is. Um, but at, at the same time, don't you think sometimes it's, it's a confluence of events. It's the right judges, the right mood, the right audience, the right, literally the right room that you're performing in, the right time of day and energy of, of yourself and, and everything. There's so many other factors beyond what you could i think in the afa final round if you reshuffle that deck same performances same you you deliver the exact same way and you reshuffle with different judges different audience everything else it becomes a a different experience altogether and i think the outcome 
changes. It's very rare that one person is clearly dominant at that level. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I heard you you mention on a, on a previous episode, and I, I thought it stuck out a lot. Is there's there's three things happening in any room? Is there's what you control, what your competitors do, and what the judges think, but only only one of those you really have any any sway over. And right. I think that that really rung true to me. Is you know, I, I'd done all that I could, but there's there's other elements out there. It's, it's the the people that you're up against, the the folks who just happen to be judging that round. So. Um, you're totally right. I think you could you could shuffle up any one of those scenarios, and the outcomes. I, I mean, I could have I could have been the king of sixth place <laughs> just as easily as I could have had a handful of titles. Like, well, uh, I will say this. I mean, I I saw some of those rounds that you were in. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen a few of your final rounds, and I will tell you, in that ADS round that um, would have been your sophomore year, it was very clear who was first and second. And then everyone else was competing for third place. I mean, the, the the girl at AFA who won, she had several standing ovations during her speech, and so did you. And it was like head and shoulders above everyone else. And then, and not that anyone else was bad, but I can't remember anything else about any of the other speeches that round. And that's no slight on them. It was just you guys just had a hell of a performance. And sometimes, I know this runs counter to what I just said, but sometimes. I don't know, like the the performance that you did, if you reshuffled the round, uh, reshuffled the deck, you might have taken first, but you're not taking third in that round. Do you know what I mean? Like every once in a while, you just have those kinds of rounds. And sometimes sure. it is always, you know, it could be reshuffled. And, and I know this just goes runs completely counter to what I just said. But I, I guess like sometimes you have those killer performances. And I've seen you have those killer performances. And I've also seen you have rounds that were, you know, it could have been anybody's day. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. Like, um, to be at that level of competition, though, you know, everybody's going to be at, at least pretty good. You know, mm -hmm. to get to a national final round doesn't doesn't happen by accident. Um, but I also think that people respond to those moments in different ways. Um, and again, I just, I just love an audience. I just I just love to be up in front of people. And so mm -hmm. the bigger the room got. Um, I think from from most of those final rounds, just the the more the more I wanted it, the more I put on. Like I, you just find some other gear inside of yourself. You know, even right. for a speech that you've rehearsed hundreds of times in in a million different classrooms all over the country, um, you you can you can dig in and find something. And it's not just the performance too, but I think a lot of it has to do with what are you talking about? You know, you can have a, a, an immaculately delivered speech, but if it's not a topic that resonates with people or it's something that people feel strongly about or um, have passion for, then all of that's going to impact the outcome. That's, uh, that's a really, really good way to look at it too, is how much does what you're saying resonate with your audience is very true. So take us into your senior year. Now you said a, a little bit of the wind has been taken out of your sails at this point And, how does your senior year play out? Yeah, so um, it, competitively, I, I think in, in a lot of ways, my senior year was actually like my weakest. Um, I did didn't get to any any finals um, at nationals. I think I semied a couple events. Um, I focused a little bit more on I think what I wanted to do. Um, like I, I did a, a poi program on the the death of like the album as a format for music listening, which was something hmm. that. It, was, it meant a lot to me. It was something that I felt very strongly about, but you know, I honestly can't blame judges for not picking me up. It's like, 
it's it's sort of a, a a niche passion project that doesn't have a huge impact on the world. It meant a lot to me to do. Um, my my ADS was a, a topic that I think was was fun to talk about and get into, but I, I knew wasn't as strong as what I had the previous years. Even even when I you know put my best jokes in and gave the best performance of it, um, I really distinctly remember. Uh, yeah, pretty sure it was a semi. Um, my my parents had come out uh, to watch, um, and I just knew I, I I went towards the tail end I think of that that round and I was like this is it I know this is the last time I'm going to be competing this is this is my last speech um, and it's going to be fun um, but I, I just I, I just I didn't have I knew I didn't have the ideas to to get to a final I knew what it took to get there um, and a lot of the material I was working with my my senior year I, I felt was very good but I I didn't have that feeling like this is it this is going all the way uh, mm-hmm. like I had with some of those pieces those previous years. So where do you, how does that make you feel looking back, what, 10 years later, do you feel like you did, made the right call? I mean, uh, I, that's kind of a hard question to ask because of course you're going to feel like it, it set you up to where you are now. But if you had it to do over again, would you have stopped yourself mid-year and said, we got to rethink some of these ideas? Or do you feel like, nah, just let, let these go the way they're going because saying those ideas to the audience that you had was the bigger victory? Well, I don't know how much of what I just described to you I knew at the time. Um, I, mm. I knew I was doing stuff that was important to me. I think I felt at the time that I could make it important to judges and to audiences. Um, so it's not like I went in expecting less or thinking I was capable of less. But certainly in retrospect, I look back and I can I can pretty objectively say hey, these these just they just weren't as hot as as the stuff I had the previous years. Um, I don't think I have really any regrets about it. I don't know that I would do anything differently. Um, I certainly wish I had, you know, got to that ultimate summit and, and found my way to a, a college championship, but um, it's not the end of the world that I didn't. I, I'm still proud of everything that I, that I put out there. I think I had a lot of success and, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of folks who have, who've achieved more than I have and achieved less than I have. And every single person has the same thing in common and said that they felt that they probably could have done more that they could have achieved more and they didn't quite get everything that they wanted it to out of it. Um, hmm. So I, I find myself in that, that same camp um, as, as some other folks that I've, I've talked to. I think that you're right. I think a lot of people do say that. And I'm, I, I find myself in an odd boat because when I walked away from speech, I felt like I hit it exactly where it was supposed to be. Like that's enough. I don't need any more. I had just enough that I, you know, as mu- I'm not sick of it. I'm not like, Ugh, I got to get away from this. But I'm also not clamoring for another round. It was like as if I knew exactly how many rounds I was going to get. And I was a-okay with that the whole way through. And I, I, I find myself, everybody that I've talked to has been like, ah, I wish I could have gone back and done things a little differently. Or, oh, I'm so glad I'm away from that activity. And I find <laughs> that it's, it's one of those two. And I, rarely do I feel like um, people are kind of like, yeah, perfectly satiated. Yeah, that's good. And and it, I'm not trying to say that that's a better way to, to approach it either. Um, you know, I think there's something. A part of me kind of wishes that I did have that desire to go back and and um, and kind of get going again. You know, like that. That yeah. it almost makes me feel like, well, maybe my passion wasn't as strong as it could have been. Um, and so that kind of makes me, that kind of leaves me feeling like a desire to wish that I had a desire to go back. If that makes sense. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I remember thinking at the time, um, telling people like, if there was, if there was a way to go pro, like you know, you 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 play high school ball, you play college ball, and then you go pro. If there was a way to do that in speech, I remember thinking that that's what I would have, 
that's what I would have tried to do. Yeah. Um, but that's not really a thing. That's that's just that <laughs> just doesn't exist. Um, well, not yet. But Andy, there's something I wanted to talk to you about. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I look back on. I have a lot of a lot of mixed feelings with it. I I think I, at the end of the day, I'm most thankful for like the relationships that I walked away from the activity with um the achievement stuff matters less and less as time goes by right. um what you got or what you didn't get it, it all kind of seems more and more trivial the older i get um but the the people that i met and what i took away from my time competing is what still resonates with me all the time later you know i think every person that i've spoken to has said that thing and i think it's true i mean i, I think that's really the key to all of it is your relationships and, and the way that you interact with other people. And I think too, you know, I think in someone from your position, like wanting to win, you know, part of like why you want to win is so that your friends all kind of, they put you into that club, you know, they, mm -hmm. they put you into that category of, Oh, he's a national champion. And I mean, if you, if you go to a, a Starbucks, nobody's going to know that you, that even if you won every nationals, no one's going to know. So it's only the people that are really involved in this activity that are going to know yeah. or care. And I would bet that if you were to ask most people who, you know, who, who know something about you, they probably would, would think that you had won a title. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a testament to how great of a competitor you were and and i would say this on top of all of the national champions um or people that would i would put in that caliber you're by far one of the if not the nicest and one of the people that <laughs> i i liked spending time with i mean even just being in round just kind of talking with you in between rounds and just you know chatting i found myself really at ease with you and and really liking your personality and that goes a long way i think you know i, I think that goes further than winning or not winning or whatever but it's it is what you're talking about that relationship and and you've you built that probably without even knowing but just being a good human along the way you know well i'm i'm flattered to hear you say that and i think that's yeah that's be flattered yeah i am thank you <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i i think that that's that's very kind of you to say and i i think that that if that's if that's what people remember about my time in, in those classrooms and in those rounds then like that's that's great. I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, I I think it's it's more important that we take care of each other and that we have that meaningful connection. Um, I think at the end of the day, I really think that that's kind of what performance is is trying to connect with people. Um, and if you can do that while you're on stage and be amazing at it, that's great. But I think you also need to be able to to connect with the the people that you're sitting next to in in the crowd too when you're not performing and and just like I said, be a good person. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and i think that segues nicely into another part that i want to talk to you about which is life after speech and in particular i want to talk about i mean you had romance during speech and and now marriage and and kids that all kind of spawned out of speech mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that like what, what was what's it like having a relationship with someone who's on your team and then um turning that into a a life afterward and then of course how much does that play into your everyday life now sure so um so i am married to julia colesrud she graduated my sophomore year we actually didn't date until she was finished it was like the, oh like okay the very end of the year so we, we were never dating while we were competing um that said um very much on the point of what we were just talking about so 
my sophomore year, her final year competing, uh, she did win a national championship. Um, so that is a topic that uh, comes up. So I have more finals than she does, but uh. she has <laughs> she has the win, and she will definitely uh, hold that over my head any chance that she gets. Um, but as far as how it impacts our our life together, I think I think speech is so critical in helping the people who participate in it become better listeners, better communicators, just overall, you become better at understanding the human condition of the people around you when, Mm -hmm. when day in and day out, you're, you're hearing these stories told and whether they're, you know, first person that are, are, you know, in the form of an ADS or an info or something like that, that have real personal residence or, you know, somebody performing a, a short story or a book of poetry, like you become exposed to so many other different narratives and so many other different viewpoints that I think it, it's hard not to become a, a better listener and then become more empathic. And I think that that's still something that resonates really strongly through our relationship. I mean, we basically haven't left the house in over 70 days and we, you know, we get on our, each other's nerves a little bit, but we have a really deep understanding of each other. And I, I think a lot of that comes from the, the training you get as speech to be a storyteller and to be a good audience member and to be a listener and to, to, really make every effort to understand the person that's in front of you, whether that's in a performance or in a personal relationship. Do you feel like speech has impacted your, your professional life? I mean, what, how, what are you doing for, for money these days? And, and does, how does speech impact that? Yeah. So I think speech is funny. I think it like, it doesn't prepare you for any job, but it makes you better at every job. Oh, wow, man. Deeper words have never been said. That's so true. <laughs> um, so, like right out of out of college, I, I started working at an Apple store. Um, I had always really admired Apple as a company, and um, I ended up working for ten years for Apple, um, doing a, a handful of different things from like training and sales and a business to business kind of environment. Uh, and actually, just a few months ago in February, I left Apple, and I, I now work at a, a tech startup here in Scottsdale. Um, as a, a customer success manager. And it, it's interesting because I think a lot of those things that I was just talking about have been really critical for my professional development um, is one is that like competitive drive. Like I always believe I can be doing better. I always think I can push myself to be better at whatever I'm doing. And that's, that's what I believe when I was doing speech. And that's what I believe in each of the jobs that I've held and in my current one as well. Um, but also being able to communicate effectively, being able to be a good listener, I think, is, <laughs> is so important. It's it's amazing. The most people in the world have not sat in a room with one person that's a judge and one person that's performing. And, like, it's on you to, like, be engaged and, and to be an active listener. Um, I've had uh, customers that I work with, like, literally stop <laughs> mid-sentence while talking to me to say, hey, you're, like, really good at listening. I can just tell that you're engaged in this just because you do you do the nods and you do the eyebrows and you do all those little things to visually cue that you're you're into what somebody is saying to you and like that's all the stuff that you learn from speech um, and then you respond what, by going i'm sorry what <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not um but yeah so it, it, like i said the, the i think the the drive for personal development um and just that ability to to try and understand people um and try and communicate with them as effectively as possible has, has been definitely a, a thread in my professional life uh, having left speech. So um, is it is it a, a specific job that I, I got ready for by doing com- competitive speaking? No, but I, I, every interview I've had, my, my 
the course my professional life has taken has definitely been impacted by those skills that I picked up doing speech. Yeah, that's so true, man. I, I'm, you better believe I'm going to steal what you just said. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you credit, but that's such a great way of looking at it, which is, um, have, had you said that before? Because that just rolled right off your tongue, which is that speech doesn't prepare you for any job, but it makes you better at every job. That's I, I, I think I've said that before. That might have oh. not might not have been the maiden voyage of that particular phrase. <laughs> Man, that, that's a that's a good good trip either way. So it may not be the maiden voyage, but that's that's got legs. Well, um, I don't think we're going to do better than that in the interview portion, but there are a few things that I want to ask you um, that I ask every guest that comes on this show, and these are ten questions that we ask everybody, and. Uh, this is what I like to call the final round. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So before we begin, I just want to mention that this segment is brought to you by ForensicsTournament.net. ForensicsTournament.net has all of your forensics tabulation needs. If you need to tab a tournament, check out ForensicsTournament.net. It's a great source. It's very, very easy and intuitive and uh, very simple to use. Danny Cantrell over there will help you get going if you have any trouble. And uh, you won't because it's so great. Great, great sponsor and a great tabulation service. So check out ForensicsTournament.net. Okay, here we go, Andy. The final round. All right. Question number one. Were you superstitious in speech? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How so? <laughs> um, there was, like, all sorts of, like, little little things that had some some mojo to them, um, like, in the form of objects. Remember, the ASU team, we all had these, like, little, I think it was just, like, a, uh, like a plastic hairband of some kind, but... They were all distributed in a very ceremonial fashion at the beginning of the season. You'd give them to each other. I don't remember the exact dynamics of it, but like that was something that had to be like on your wrist in order to be ready to go uh, into any competition. Um, the the black book was uh, another artifact of of great importance. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know who uh, gave you your black book meant a lot at the end of each season. We'd have a, a ceremony where a lot of the upperclassmen would sort of gift things to you know newer members of the team so there the, the the passing of black books was always something that carried a lot of weight with it so um i remember i had like sort of my like you know my regular working day black books that i'd use for just kind of the regular tournaments and then i had the the special black books that have been passed down to me by whoever i can't remember at this point but um to, to know that 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 object had been in a national final and had had this this achievement or something like that uh, definitely gave gave a little little energy um, uh, to to the performance and to the, the whole mindset going into a day of competition for sure. I love that. Question number two: Who was the competitor you most admired? Um, you know, I I actually can I give a couple answers. Is that allowed? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I I never as long as it's only one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, Paul Davis comes to mind. So mm -hmm. I never actually competed with or against him. Um, but I saw him do a showcase performance of Sea Oak when I was in high school. Um, and then I saw him do a showcase performance of his poetry. He did his senior year. Both um, of those are incredible. Th incredible. They just absolutely rocked my world. Um, as a, as a high schooler, very new to the activity. Um, just the, the level of like, just, joy and they're so funny and so thoughtful and like thought provoking i mean it, everything about what he delivered in those performances i think really was was like jarring to me that was like 
there's a new bar in terms of what is possible, mm-hmm. or maybe there is no bar at all. Is is maybe the, the better message from especially his senior year poetry um, that that all these boundaries that we've been taught and then I'm trying to learn as somebody new in this activity um, were were really um, he just had a huge impact on me um, as a performer and as as a person too. I, I developed a, a close friendship with him in, in my years on the team and the years since, and, and still keep in touch with him a bit as well. Okay, did you you said you wanted to mention somebody else? Yeah. Or is that so, it? so one other that just kind of stands out to me um, was uh, Annie Kincaid uh, from ISU. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I actually worked together at um, some speech camp in Florida. I can't recall the name of it. Um, and again, had like a, a limited overlap, but she was somebody who like just brought something to the stage that I thought was like so insightful and like smart and funny and like just seemed to set a, a format of how I wanted to approach the event. So, um, you know, Paul inspired some of my, some of my approach to the activity. Um, but seeing Annie perform, especially in her like senior year, um, just seemed to be doing the activity the right way from a performance and from a personal standpoint, and then getting to work with her afterwards and, and how she approached coaching kids, uh, just somebody who I looked up to and definitely admired a lot as, as both a person and a performer. All right. Question number three: What's the most memorable speech or debate you've seen? Um, I still very distinctly remember my junior year going to Harvard and seeing Jeff Mascaratolo do um, uh, his HI in the final. He he won, and it was just it was just immaculate. Was right? this rinse the blood off my toga? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It was. I, I, I again, this is my first time really at a big national tournament and i think that you know probably that adds a little a little weight to my experience with it but again i was i was hungry to see what was what was possible and what other people were doing and to see that i was like okay that is that is as clean and as perfect of a execution of a, a an hi as, as I, I think i've maybe ever seen before or since um and I just, I just remember just rolling, laughing, seeing that performance. And it was just, it was so nuanced and subtle and just like pitch perfect. Every detail was, was just so flawless. Um, that, that's, that's a performance that, that I, I just always, always, always will remember. Question number four, how do you explain forensics to someone who's unfamiliar with it? Uh, it's, it's like competitive acting and competitive speech writing and competitive <laughs> speaking. It's... <laughs> All of that, and then there's some debate too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number five: What was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? Um, my most unusual inspiration for a speech. I boy, that's I mean, it, it, can it be Michael Bay's Transformers? <laughs> it could be, yes. <laughs> That's pretty I mean, unusual. Like that that is that is a, a fairly uncharacteristic place to draw inspiration for uh, <laughs> from for a, for a forensic uh, event. Um but yeah, I just I just I just love that movie. I just I just thought it was a blast and I wanted to be in it. So <laughs> we made it happen. After after performing it for so long, I mean, do you when you go back and watch it, do you do you identify with the movie? I guess what I'm saying is do you get lost in the movie now or is it do you get lost in your performance or both or how does that work? I'll be honest with you. It's probably been ten years since I've watched it. I, That's, I don't. It, you I just, should go back and watch it. That's your homework I, assignment. Yeah. Go watch it this week and see. Wow, how do I feel about it? 
Yeah, no, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great suggestion. Because you got to think about, like, for us to be cutting it and blocking it. I mean, we had that movie on loop for, right. like, months. So right. I think <laughs> after we were done with it all... Um, it's more yours than Shia LaBeouf's. He doesn't know it, but it's more <laughs> yours than it is his. I'll take that. Yeah, it's mine now. It's my, mine and Eric Dern's. Yep. Question number six. Um, has a speech or debate ever caused you to change? Um... That's a really good question too. Thanks, you know, I wrote it myself. That's good. No, that's good. Um, you've done this before, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> twenty-five you know, times before, actually. I, it, it's it's a um, it's an interesting question, and I, I I don't know if this is a great answer for it, um, but I remember uh, Lydia Nelson's prose her senior year, um, and. I, I couldn't recall for you the details of the plot, but I remember finding it like really deeply moving. And there was this, this phrase that I think was kind of reiterated. And it was um, something I'm paraphrasing. It might not be exactly this, but it was like, you, you go when you can no longer stay. Um, and for some reason, that particular little set of words has stuck with me. Um especially in times of like transition in my life as, as mm. I've, I've moved jobs or leaving speech or a- anytime there's, there's some great transition. I, I always think back to that, that you leave when you can no longer stay. And I, 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 I internalize that as some sort of um, qualitative metric when I, I, I'm looking at my life and I know that it's, it's time to leave something that's familiar to me and, and move on to something new. Um, I, I felt that resonated a lot when I was finished competing. Um, I remember thinking about it when I, um, like when I was finished coaching, uh, when my wife, Julie and I, like when we left our apartment and bought a house, when I left Apple a few months ago. Um, yeah, it's like I said, it's, it's that, that speech and the way it made me feel and the way it made me think about the turning points in our lives has, has resonated with me. Um, a lot and I, I said it's it's i can't recall like, all the details of that speech but I, I definitely remember how it made me feel and i remember that particular phrase um when i think about it during those those transitional times in my life that's really beautiful all right question number seven what did you do with your awards um they're in a few places as i'm looking above my desk i've got a couple um it's a, maybe two or three like nationals trophies up on top of our our desk here um the rest are stashed away somewhere in a closet my parents might have a few um i i, I could not provide an accurate account of where they all are i so know scattered to the winds <laughs> yeah a, a couple of them are on display but it's just three of them um and then uh, a few are, are i think in the closet behind me as well are they all behind julia's is, is hers like up front and center because it's a national champion and like you know yours are in the background <laughs> and she makes sure to uh, hers, her, her championship AFA plate is actually in prominent display at her parents' home. <laughs> oh, okay. um, so yeah, I don't think we have any of her trophies here at the house. Um, they're, they're, her, her good stuff is uh, at the parents. I see. All right, question number eight. What speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life? Um, I, I'll tell you, especially right now when I spend most of my professional hours on Zoom calls, being an active listener Hmm. being on camera staring at a camera like being able to engage with folks and and hear what they're saying i think that that is that is probably the skill that i use most frequently um and i think too like 
thinking about what, like, what, I, I did do a little uh, public forum debate when I was in high school. Um, but I, I think in any speech context, like if somebody asked you about their piece afterwards, like you would need to know the details. You'd be, you'd want to be able to, to speak to it a little bit. Hey, mm-hmm. what'd you think? Oh, I like this part of this stuff like that. Um, I think that that's all, all prepped me for the life that I live in right now. Um, again, just Zoom calls, just nonstop. Um, it's just being a good listener, being an active listener um, and hearing, hearing what people are saying to you and, and taking something from that information that you can, you can use to, to help them or do your work or um, build your, your personal relationships. Yada, yada, yada. I'm sorry, what? Yada, yada, yada. Is how I I'm sorry. That sentence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, just, I wasn't listening. Question number nine. <laughs> Why didn't you quit? I wanted to win. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I love that, man. I love your honesty. It's just like, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to win. I wanted the trophy. Yeah, I, is yeah, that not clear? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like, in a deeper sense, while I was competing, it was who I was. I, mm-hmm. I, I never once thought about leaving because it was it was where I'd found a home. It was it was part of my identity so quickly. Um, that's that's what I did. That's who I was. Uh, the idea of, of walking away voluntarily um, is, is like cutting off a limb because you, you want to or you find it inconvenient. Um, it's just, it's, it never crossed my mind. I, and, I, and I wanted to win. So I was going to come back. <laughs> Beautiful. Question number 10. What was the best speech advice you've ever received? Um, I think uh, probably go big or go home. Like if you're going to do something, commit to it. If you're if you're thinking about what emotional choices to do in an inter piece, like don't half choose them. Like commit to everything that you're going to do. Commit to it fully. If you're if you're not going to do that, then like what are you doing here? Go home. So so, so go big uh, or go home is the the, the real short uh, example of advice I think that I received that I, I still think about sometimes. Yeah, you know I I went to a coach's conference one time. Uh, I was a student representative. I was still a competitor, and I heard these coaches talking about what they are looking for when they're when they're watching rounds and and you know when they're judging and they said something similar to what you just said which was um they would rather see a choice even if that choice is bad yeah but just some choice rather than no choice and that always stuck with me of like yeah make a choice like just if you're just standing there saying words you're you're done like there's no contest here but if you're making a choice well now we got some something on the table to deal with and um, I think that kind of goes in the spirit of what you just said. Hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Go bigger, go home. Yep. Yeah. Make a choice. Commit to it. Well, on that note, I think we went big, but it's time to go home. So, uh, <laughs> Andy, if people want to find you, where can they find you? you got a, an Instagram or Twitter? Anything you want to throw out there? Uh, yeah. You can most commonly find me on Twitter. I'm at Real Andy Stone. Um, so come hang out and tweet with me i guess <laughs> yeah right there you go and as for us if you want to find us on twitter or instagram we are at forensic podcast andy this has been great man it's been great catching up with you it's been great talking to you and kind of walking down memory lane thanks so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it man uh thanks thanks for having me i'm, I'm flattered that you thought that i was interesting enough to talk to <laughs> <laughs> you are one of the the funniest nicest people in all of forensics so until next round keep talking and as andy stone says go big or go home Oh, you're acting now Cause if you're not somebody Must show you how You got the same Bunker Old world charm I don't know where you come from But you're perfect for the part I don't know